Good afternoon, this is Harold Littlejohn, CPA. Welcome to Business Buzz. It's another lovely Chico summer afternoon. Uh, kind of in the middle of a heat wave, but we sort of always are. At least we had a little bit of uh, rain to kind of make it feel like Hawaii. Sorry, I have a little bit of a uh, mechanical noise there. Sorry about that. So it's been an interesting couple of weeks since I've been able to be live on the air. I've been just busy as heck, and, you know, being a CPA, it never ends. I play tennis, and the guys I play tennis with, the last one that I play tennis with regularly who used to also be a guy who would go to work after tennis in the morning, like me, he retired in July, so I'm the last one there that always has to leave soon because I got to go to work after I play tennis, but that's okay. That also kind of makes me the youngest one. So if I do well and I win and I beat people, then part of that's because I'm younger. And, you know, when I'm a little older, like some of them are, I don't think I'll be as good a player as them. So we'll see how I do in my tennis, but I enjoy tennis. It's a fun way to get exercise and have fun at the same time. I run Sometimes I go to the gym sometimes, but tennis is the most fun way to have uh, exercise to me because it's just a real fun game. I started playing tennis when I was in high, about high, junior high or high school age, and my brother and I one summer had some blue chip stamps. Does anybody remember blue chip stamps? So my mom had a bunch of blue chip stamps and some stamp books. And one day in the summer, we sat down and filled up the books with stamps. Then we walked down to the Blue Chip Redemption store. And we each got a tennis racket. And we started playing. And I've kind of been a bit of a tennis player ever since. I didn't play in high school, but it's it's a fun sport. It's a good way to get exercise and have fun at the same time. So that's why I like it. So business buzz, I'm uh, basically Chico business. Uh, I've been out and about a little bit over the last week. Some of the downtown places that are lucky enough to have patio seating are actually able to serve food and drinks and even have some live entertainment. So I enjoyed some of that this weekend. I feel bad for the places that don't have patios because they can't serve indoors. I think you all know my opinion of that. I'll be talking about that a little bit today on the in the news section of Business Buzz. My number one news for Business Buzz today is recently there's a California wealth tax proposal. Now, fortunately, I don't really have, I don't have the problem of paying the tax, but I do have the problem of understanding the logic of doing this tax. It is the first, would be that they've proposed it. I don't think it's been passed yet. This, this article I printed is from four days ago. A group of state lawmakers on Thursday proposed a first-in-the-nation state wealth tax. 
that would hit about 30,000 California residents and raise an estimated $7.5 billion for the general fund. Well, first of all, hang on, i got to grab my calculator. I don't want to make a mistake on the decimal point. Unfortunately, I have a couple of clients who probably are going to qualify for getting hit by this tax. And I can just see how long they're going to want to stay in California. So let me just uh, get the old calculator off of the phone here. So it's supposed to raise $7.5 billion, but it's only 30,400 residents paying the tax. Do you see where this is going? Oh, hang on. I I don't use this calculator on my phone that often, so I don't really I'm not really good at it. Let me see. Okay, so if I take seven and a half billion, which is gonna be the general fund, and it's gonna be paid by thirty thousand four hundred California residents. We're looking at an average bill for these residents. Now, I'm not sure what, what, how many years they're talking about to raise $7.5 billion, but we're talking $246,000 per person in extra state tax to be paid. And get this, based on how much you're worth, not how much you make. Now, here's my main problem with that kind of tax. First of all, you have to be dealing with people who earn their wealth in California or else it's very unfair. In other words, if some guy moved from uh, Nevada and he brought over his stock portfolio that's worth $100 million, now he lives in California, now all of a sudden he's going to be paying tax on his wealth that he didn't even earn in while in California? That part is uh, not going to be good. Now, there's going to probably be some challenges. I remember when I first started doing income taxes in the 1980s, the first few years that I was doing taxes, the rule was a retiree from like California PERS, like a fireman or a policeman or a teacher from STRS, California STRS, they were actually taxed by California even if they moved out of the state California wanted to keep taxing them on their pension income from California. That rule was in effect for the first few years that I was doing income taxes, I think, in the 80s. But it got struck down by a Supreme Court case that said, no, you can't do that. That's discriminating against free movement between the states, which is one of the principles of the whole Constitution. So that one bit the dust. Now, I could see this one having lots of constitutional problems just for what I was saying. But, I mean, the I just can't believe that this whole, um, this whole uh, protest movement is just targeting anybody with money. And this is supposed to, you know, be a, be a fair tax. Now, here, here's the thing. Isn't it bad enough already that the federal and the state government already gets your income tax return every year? 
that tells them what income you make from which sources, isn't that enough? Isn't that enough for them to know? Now they're going to ask, what do you own? And that's what this wealth tax is all about. So you might have somebody who owns, well, something near and dear to my heart. Let's say they own 10,000 ounces of rhodium. Well, rhodium just reached $10,000 an ounce today. That would be $100 million worth of rhodium. Now, rhodium doesn't pay dividends, and it doesn't earn interest. Technically, a guy who the only thing he owned was 10,000 ounces of rhodium, he would be worth $100 million, but he would have zero income to pay income tax on and zero reason for the government to know that he owns that. But under this new California wealth tax, I'm not sure how it's going to work exactly, but it would end up being some kind of requirement that they would have to report their wealth, which is just another huge overreach. Since when did the government become so big that they can demand that they that we give them a list of what we own? I mean, wh- where where is that written? Whose idea is that? State Assemblymember Rob Bonta, Democrat from Oakland, is the lead author of AB 2088. So it says the tax rate would be 0.4% of net worth, excluding directly held real estate. Now, they have to leave real estate out because that's already being taxed by property tax. Uh, excluding directly held real estate that exceeds $30 million for single and joint filers and $15 million for married filing separately. Well, $30 million is quite high of a threshold, but still, it still doesn't make it fair. Now, the other thing is the rate would be 0.4% of net worth. Remember, rates can change, and they usually change to the upside. Ten years from now, that 0.4% of net worth might be 4% of net worth. Who knows? So I'm not going to read you all the garbledy goop in this article. Bonta said he would like to, I'm going to read a few select highlights because I wanted to learn a little more about it. I didn't read this whole thing. Bonta said he would like, I didn't read the whole thing because I kind of know what it's going to say generally. Said he would like to see a wealth tax passed in addition to the millionaire's tax proposed in a bill introduced in late July. AB 1253 would add surcharges of 1% of incomes between roughly $1 and $2 million, 3% on income between 2 and $5 million, and 3.5% on income greater than $5 million, bringing the top rate to 16.8% today. California's top rate today at 13.3% is already the highest in the nation. People subject to the wealth tax would report it to the Franchise Tax Board along with their income taxes. They would have to report all assets, including stock, in publicly and privately traded corporations, interest in partnerships, private equity or hedge funds, blah, 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 blah. Real estate would be exempt because it's already subject to property tax at a higher rate. Here's a guy from a think tank uh, called the Tax Foundation. It is far easier to call for a state-level wealth tax than it is 
to actually design an enforceable one, said Jared Walzak, a vice president with the Tax Foundation. Maybe that's why no state has imposed one. So there's tons of crazy questions. I'm not going to get into it right now because I could think of a lot. The article mentions a lot. And there's just so many ways to argue against that one. But then again, since when did logic have anything to do with these late, these lately uh, politicians lately? It's actually... For the first time in my life, I've got so I've got I've been so I won't say upset. I've been so interested in everything that I've even thought about finding out how you run for city council. I mean, I I'm not saying I'm planning on it, but I'm just I'm totally disgusted with uh, some of these tax things they're doing, and that one's a bad one. One of the things over the last. 10 years, I've had a lot of opportunities to help new clients who are in the business of cannabis or uh, marijuana or whatever you want to call it. I have chosen not to get involved in those businesses as far as helping anybody with their taxes. And the main reason is, even though it's legal in California, it's still not legal on the federal side. And since I deal with the IRS all the time, I am just not I'm too old to get involved with a brand new industry that could give me trouble where I have to, number one, learn a whole new set of rules. And number two, I just don't want to be involved in something that's illegal on the federal side, even if it's legal on the state side. I'm not condemning anyone who wants to try that, but there's an article here. It's from, uh, actually, it's from July. And, uh, Basically, the ju- the Federal Justice Department is demanding documents from the California officials regarding um, licensing for cannabis in California, which tells me that the federal government is starting to crack down on states that have legal cannabis, and that doesn't bode well for cannabis business people in a state where it's still not legal federally, in my opinion. I'm not an attorney. I don't play one on television. Don't quote me. I have a JD degree, but that's only halfway to a to an attorney's status. I'll be right back after this break. Don't go anywhere. I'll be right back with Business Buzz. Reason to believe. The evidence. Exhibit F2. To believe your brain could have evolved by random chance takes a lot of blind faith. The human brain is the most complex organ in the known universe. It contains more than 30 billion special cells known as neurons. And there are another 250 billion special cells that facilitate communication between the neurons. And incredibly, every one of the 30 billion neurons is connected to the other neurons in a staggering degree of complicated connections. In less than a second, your brain can calculate the trajectory of a football thrown at 30 miles an hour toward you without warning. In a moment, your brain calculates your position and the ball's ultimate trajectory and sends detailed electronic messages to the muscles in your arms and legs at more than 300 miles a second to move you into position to catch the ball. No computer on earth can do that. With that kind of evidence, what do you think? Could the human brain have evolved simply by random chance? Documentation found in the book The Signature of God by Grant R. Jeffrey. You're listening to live radio, KKXX, AM and FM. 
Hi, this is Rob Walter, host of Red Sky Radio with Rob Walter. This is a program that proclaims liberty to the captives of our beloved nation, where truth trumps political correctness and where the uncompromised word of God exposes the works of darkness and sets free those held hostage behind the iron curtain of a shamelessly biased media. America, we have a trail to blaze. It's time to saddle up. It's time to ride. Join me at 7 a.m. on KKXX. Saturday mornings at 7 a.m. here on KKXX. Welcome back to Business Buzz. This is Harold Littlejohn, CPA. I'm glad you have a chance to spend part of your afternoon with me. I'm just going to be rambling with some business-related news. So the COVID-19 virus is business-related because it's shut down all the businesses in California. I I don't know if it's most of them, some of them. I know it's a lot of them. I disagree with it. And... I've brought an article to share. It's called, it was written August 1st. It's on that website called redstate.com. I think I I had brought an article in a couple weeks ago from that same website, but they seem to have some pretty good topics. It's called Sweden's No Lockdown COVID Numbers Are Even Better Than They Look. It says, in case you hadn't heard, Sweden is one of the very few Western nations that didn't respond to COVID-19 by imposing any lockdowns. Given the obvious hardship, misery, and death lockdowns bring, Sweden's leaders decided it made more sense to just isolate the sick and elderly. They let the infection burn through the strong and healthy members of their population at its normal rate instead of trying to slow it down and thereby delaying herd immunity. Way back in May, I point, this is the author speaking, I pointed out that if lockdowns were effective, Sweden's neighbors would see a dramatic increase in cases after opening back up. Lockdowns at best only slow down the rate of infection. They don't reduce the number required to reach herd immunity and hence only serve to increase the amount of time the virus lingers. And I'll interject here and just say that's the whole problem. We're sitting here not knowing how long these lockdowns have to last And if we had have done the no lockdown deal, we'd probably be already past all this problem. The point of lock them getting back to this article, the point of locking down is to make sure hospitals don't get overrun by a surge of new cases on any given day, not to decrease the number of people ultimately infected. Since neither Sweden nor U.S. hospitals were ever in danger of being overrun, we know lockdowns accomplish nothing without even looking at the numbers. But the amount of misinformation about Sweden being bandied about makes it worth doing anyway. In fact, if a nation that went into lockdown doesn't experience a dramatic increase in cases after opening back up, that means shutting down failed to do what it was supposed to and the virus continued to spread at its normal rate. The upshot is that it made no sense to compare Sweden's numbers to their neighbors until the virus ran its course. As my colleague Brandon Morse reported Friday, It looks like bothering to read what the experts proposing lockdowns actually said they were supposed to accomplish may have paid off. Sweden's herd immunity pays off sees sharp decline in COVID cases while the rest of us cower. 
Europe is seeing another surge in coronavirus cases, with the exception of Sweden, who is still seeing a marked decline since June. But a Twitter researcher who goes by the name El Gato Malo, the bad cat, did a thread that's essential reading for anyone who wants to understand whether Sweden made the right choice. It turns out their COVID numbers are incredibly good, even independently of the fact that they seem to be avoiding the recent spike in cases that lockdown nations are experiencing. Moreover, there are differences in the criteria for counting COVID-19 deaths, which cast a very different light on some of the comparisons being made. To start by considering Sweden's numbers in isolation, their COVID fatalities were almost entirely restricted to the elderly. 88% were over 70, and 75% were in nursing homes or elder care. Only 4.5% of fatalities were under 60. Sweden had almost no deaths among the young. Sweden had less than 500 reported COVID fatalities under 70, just 12% of the total. Before the even one death is too many crowd starts accusing me of being a heartless monster, they might want to take a look in the mirror. A recent report from the British government estimates that in just a single year, lockdowns may cause 200,000 deaths from depriving people of medical care for ailments other than COVID-19 alone. Britain has around six times Sweden's population but even dividing the British number by 20 gives you 10,000 deaths. That's 20 times those 500 people under the age of 70 that Sweden reported as succumbing to COVID-19 and almost twice their total for all ages. Moreover, it's very unlikely that the real death toll in Sweden is anywhere close to the number they're reporting. Like the U.S., Sweden's criteria for counting COVID-19 deaths are so loose that they've They're bound to be including a lot of people who would have died regardless of the virus. As Johan Norberg pointed out way back in April, Sweden systematically checks the list of people who have tested positive for the virus against the population register. Every time the government discovers that someone who had the virus has died, that person is registered as a COVID-19 death if it happened within 30 days of the diagnosis. It doesn't matter what they died of. Could be a heart attack, cancer, or even a car accident. People keep contrasting Sweden's COVID fatality numbers with Norway's. Given that Sweden's reported deaths from the virus likely dwarfed the number of citizens they would have killed with a lockdown, such comparisons are just scary-sounding panic porn that have no bearing on the wisdom of Sweden's decision. But as Norberg also pointed out to the apparently deaf ears of all those pushing the Norway comparison anyway, Even in a culturally and geographically similar country like Norway, celebrated for its low death rate, they do things differently. The Norwegians only count something as a COVID-19 death if a doctor concludes that someone was killed by the disease and decides to report it to the country's public health authority. There's a general lesson here. The data we're getting is pretty much all garbage considered on its own and is worse than garbage when used for comparative purposes. The only thing that matters in evaluating whether lockdowns are worth their tremendous death toll is how many people would still be alive if not for contracting COVID-19. And absolutely no one seems to have any interest in even figuring that out, let alone in telling us. So I'm not going to beat a dead horse on this thing. It's similar to what I talked about before. I'm totally against the way they're counting deaths. And as far as cases, it doesn't even matter as far as I know. 
from what I've gathered, most people who supposedly have this COVID don't even have any symptoms. So why is it such a big deal? And why do we need to be locked down? And I'm lucky because my business is called an essential service. But people whose business is not an essential service, it's very unfair for them to have their businesses shut down over a bogus, um, not really scientifically analyzed, uh, bogus, I'll just call it bogus. That's my opinion. I'm not a doctor. Don't stop going to the doctor because Harold on Business Buzz said that COVID-19 is bogus, but that's my opinion and I'm entitled to it. At least for now, we're still living in the U.S. and I'm entitled to my opinion. Okay, I've got so many things to read, but I don't want to bore you with too much. And it's already almost the bottom of the hour. I did want to introduce the fact that gold popped up over $2,000 again today. I'm not sure where it's at at the moment, but as of about an hour or two ago, it was just a little bit over 2000 I've been telling you gold and silver are the way to go. Of course, rhodium's even better. I just don't have enough of it. It's now ten to 12,000 per ounce. And I expect that gold will look that the gold price will look like that too at some time in the future. I don't know when. Not financial advice, just telling you what I like to read about, telling you what I like to think. You know what I think. I think that the dollars you hold are not going to be worth very much in the future. And the only way to protect them is to have part of your money in gold, silver, platinum, palladium, and rhodium. But not financial advice, just my just my humble opinion. I've got a real interesting chapter from a book I'm going to read after this break and I'll give you a little teaser on it right now. It's from the book called Virtual Government by Alex Constantine. And I'll get back to a chapter in that book right after this break. Stay tuned to Business Buzz. This is all about the business of the post office, which has been in the news lately. Stay tuned. There's no formula for perfect parenting, but there are some effective approaches to raise children. Next time on Focus on the Family, the power of adaptability in your parenting, modeling respect for your kids, and being more intentional about the growth and direction of your family. Practical parenting help on the next Focus on the Family with Jim Daly. This is Pastor Chris Kinson. We are now conducting outdoor services because of the recent restrictions placed on indoor activities by the Governor of California. Our services are now held earlier, at 10 a.m. Sunday mornings. Because we are outside, there will be background noises such as the traffic and the wind blowing on the microphone. But this is the new reality. Our program is called Your Message for Today and will be broadcast on Sunday mornings at 10.30 a.m. We hope that you enjoy the Bible-based teaching and preaching that will be featured on these programs. We'd also like to extend to you an invitation to come 
and visit us at Community Church of God, 1095 East Avenue in Chico. Our services are at 10 a.m. Sundays. Come and worship with Community Church of God, and may God richly bless you. God bless you. Tom has been a teacher for over 40 years. One day, I think one of the students had asked the question and he didn't remember the answer. And I also noticed that he was letting his class out earlier than they were supposed to let out. I was really starting to worry. Levi and I talked about how it would change our lives, but he was there beside me. When something feels different, it could be Alzheimer's. Now is the time to talk. Visit alz.org slash stories to learn more. A message from the Alzheimer's Association and the Ad Council. Welcome back to Business Buzz. I'm Harold Littlejohn, CPA. I'll be honest, I am not totally up on what all this news about the USPS is involved with. I guess it has something to do with the mail-in voting and the Democrats wanting to fund the post office for... I, I honestly haven't been able to keep up with it. But I did want to share a very interesting article. It's called... CIA Mind Control and the U.S. Postal Service, since that relates to the postal service that's been in the news lately. At a congressional inquiry in September, this is an old book, I think it was written in the 90s. At a congressional inquiry in September 1992, an angry witness to mass murder at a Royal Oak post office. I think this stems from that case that everybody said going postal became kind of a, kind of a sick joke. Uh, an angry witness to a ma- to mass murder at a Royal Oak post office charged the panel with conducting a controlled investigation to leave the impression that efforts are underway to stop this tragic carnage. He added that the investigation was not an effective response and did not lead to a cessation of violence. We are in need of more than political responses which produce nothing more than window dressing. Such efforts have led to, and then there's a bullet points, blaming the victims, declaring them to be mentally unstable. Review of a whistleblower's background, military record, and prior work behavior. Hotlines to permit employees to report unusual behavior. Blaming union officials and supervisors. The convening of a joint task force to make written pronouncements that postal workers oppose violence. The Postal Service has long had a cozy relationship with the intelligence services. Former CIA employees are often granted appointments as postmasters. It's a little-known fact that the system has its own built-in intelligence agency known to bug employee restrooms illegally, and the internal agency has spied on the American postal workers and letter carriers' unions. The service uses its own covert intelligence network to harass whistleblowers and sow disinformation about them. It has also been used for human experimentation without the knowledge or consent of employees. In 1977, after the Watergate break-in, it surfaced in the Select Intelligence Subcommittee investigation that the CIA was illegally spying and conducting field mind control experiments on unwitting subjects. The organic mysteries of the mind were decoded by CIA scientists with illegal drugs, electronic hypnosis, sleep deprivation, subliminal suggestions over controlled radio and television stations, direct microwave communication to the auditory pathways, the remote transmission of images, and electronic manipulation of emotions. 
you know, I got to say that when you think about it, this is from almost 50 years ago that they were already working on these kind of experiments. Could you imagine what they're doing right now? So I'm going to keep reading. There are subliminal and brainwashing techniques by which the subconscious of the individual is invaded and his thoughts or personality influenced without his consent. These influences can be smuggled in past the custom of the senses, methods of which I am aware include ultrasonic waves. These are inaudible to the conscious sense, like the silent dog whistle. Similarly, subliminal messages can be concealed in films or television programs. Of course, such means are banned, but anyone sufficiently ingenious or some central authority seeking to indoctrinate could succeed. Experiments have also demonstrated that it is possible to hypnotize persons with television and radio. So that's all from a Senate hearing over 40 years ago. I'm going to read on a little bit more. The hearings of the Select Committee in 1977 exposed an illegal research program that ruined lives and careers. Much of the populace did not hear of MK Ultra because, with the exception of New York State, news of the hearings was blacked out across the country. The pleas of victims are still ignored and ridiculed by an indifferent press. Subjecting private citizens to terminal experiments and remote electromagnetic harassment is not a national security issue. The SS carried out political sieges of imprisonment and human experimentation because the Jewish faith offended the dictatorship of Adolf Hitler. The Nuremberg trials found such acts, even with the justification of war, criminal. It says the United States of America has not openly declared war on private citizens, but illicit human experimentation and vicious non-lethal radiofrequency assaults have been carried out by agencies within a number of federal institutions for 50 years. One of them is the U.S. Postal Service. Now, remember, this book was written, I think, in the late 1990s, so this stuff was all happening probably since World War II. So I, I just wanted to introduce you to that. I recommend that you find a copy of this book. It's a really good article, and it's a book called Virtual Government, and the author is Alex Constantine, and it might be it might be um, available through an ebook place like uh, Kindle or something. I don't know. But that's uh, part of the book collection I had during the 80s and 90s. Like I say, I was a pre-internet, I was a pre-internet alternative news junkie. And uh, lately I've been trying to listen to less and less because I'm really busy with work. I need to concentrate on that. But honestly, reading all these things and listening to all these reports and following all these, they call them uh, digital soldiers on YouTube, it does start to sort of wear you down. So I've been trying to like, I've been trying to not listen as much lately because it just doesn't do, it doesn't do me that much good. I mean, it sort of makes it, it's kind of negative these days. In fact, it's very negative. Okay. So another article I wanted to point out to you is from my friend Egon von Greyers. He's not a friend, but I read his website a lot. He's from goldswitzerland.com. And the title of this article, it's from August 13th, is Buyer Beware, Gold ETFs Like GLD Own No Gold. So what an ETF is, it's an electronically traded fund. If you... Here's the chances. If you were to call, if you have a stockbroker who handles your account, 
and you were to call your stockbroker and say, I'm really interested in investing in gold, 99% of the time that broker will put you in a ETF called GLD or one just like it. So that's why this is important for you to know this. Two major asset classes are major beneficiaries of the unlimited money printing and credit creation that is now taking place globally. One of them will end in tears, and the other one has just started a major secular bull market. And he's talking about gold, by the way. As the world economy and financial system is disintegrating, investors are under the illusion that all is well with many stock markets still not far from their all-time bubble highs. The disconnect between stock and the real economy continues. Many companies and services are hemorrhaging cash and are not going to recover for years, and some never. As very few people are traveling, many airlines, cruise lines, hotels, and restaurants will not survive. This is a global industry that employs 330 million people and represents 10% of total global GDP, which is gross domestic product. That's all the earnings of everything. International tourism could fall as much as 60 to 80% in 2020, according to some estimates. The car industry is 3% of global GDP and is expected to drop 25% in 2020. Real and hidden unemployment is a major problem, and if furlough or social benefits are stopped, many people will not, will not survive. As many can't pay their rents, they will also become homeless. Currently, 31 million Americans are on some kind of unemployment benefits. That is 20% of all workers. But if we include workers who are not receiving any benefits, the total unemployment is 30%, according to shadow government statistics. This is worse than the 1930s depression. Stock market investors still live in dreamland and translate all the bad news to good news as the continuous flood of printed money and credit inject liquidity. This has always worked before, so why won't it this time? No one knows what the U.S. deficit will be at the end of calendar 2020, but it could be easily be $10 trillion as the debt grows to over $30 trillion and on to $40 trillion within a year or two. How wonderful for stock investors. More liquidity means higher share prices. Very few understand that all this money has zero value and it has been created out of thin air. Also, none of the money goes to productive investments, but instead just to give a dying economy some temporary artificial respiration. So the worthless money will go to individuals and businesses just to survive. It will also, in ever bigger quantities, go to an extremely fragile financial system. In the end, hundreds of trillions of dollars and later quadrillions of worthless money will have been spent on non-productive survival aid. It is possible that the stock mania continues based on the fake trillions created. But at some point soon, stock markets will wake up to the nightmare the world is experiencing. Gold reveals the destruction of paper money. There is at least one asset class which reacts sensibly to the problems in the world and the continued destruction of paper money. Gold is up $200 in the last two weeks and $500 or 33% in 2020. Since the line at 1350 was broken in June 2019, gold has gone up by more than 50%. But the spectacular market has been silver, which has virtually exploded as I have been predicting in the last few weeks. Here is a tweet from May 14th when the silver price was 1550. Oh, and uh, this my uh, my version of the tweet didn't print, but I'll read on. The tweet was timely as silver started to move up the following day 
and surged $10 in the last three weeks to just under $30. Silver bottomed at $11.60 on March 18th and has gone up two and a half times since then. And I want to point out that's only five months and it's gone up 250%. The gold-silver ratio crashed from 109 on May 14th to 72 today, a 35% fall. Since the peak in March at 128, the gold-silver ratio has come down 45%. I want to remind you uh, on Business Buzz, I mentioned the silver-gold ratio, and when it's over 100, it's time to buy silver. And it turns out that silver, like I said, has gone from $11 in March to just under $30 now. An amazing rise, and it's probably going nowhere but up from here. So I'll be back after the last break here. Stay tuned to Business Buzz. I'll be right back. There's no formula for perfect parenting, but there are some effective approaches to raise children. Next time on Focus on the Family, the power of adaptability in your parenting, modeling respect for your kids, and being more intentional about the growth and direction of your family. Practical parenting help on the next Focus on the Family with Jim Daly. Nothing hurts my mom, that she showed anyway. She'd always say, you do what you need to do to take care of yourself. But she thought that meant she had to do it on her own. We were trained to help others, but there's strength in finding help for yourself too. We're in this together. The VA Women Veterans Call Center connects veterans with personalized information on VA services that can make a difference. Call 1-855-VA-WOMEN or visit www.womenshealth.va.gov. I used to watch like tons of TV, and now I can turn the radio on and just listen to that all day. It's a life-changing station. Your life has significance and purpose. Oh, it gives you hope. It just lifts your day up. Jesus said that you shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. That includes truths about who you are and how God sees you. Our programming helps you grasp those truths. I listen to it when I go to work, and it helps make the day a better day. You found Life Radio, KKXX, AM and FM. Welcome back to Business Buzz. Well, that was a fast 45 minutes. I can't believe it's already about quarter till. Crazy. Okay, I'm going to spend the last part of the show just mellowing out because I've got a lot of work to do in the next few days and I've gone through a lot of... uh, Oh, one thing I wanted to do before I read from my favorite book and all you people against Eastern thought can have the children leave the room or turn off the radio. I wanted to read one more little bit out of that Von Greyer's article. And it's, uh, it's the section that says silver is exploding. 
Silver is now in an explosive phase on the way to much, much higher levels, but the corrections will also be vicious like the one we've just seen. And he's meant, he's talking about it went straight up from about 18 to about 29, and in one day the paper sellers sold a year's worth of silver mining worth of ounces in one day and knocked the price down by $4. And I'm actually helping a client uh, invest in physical silver lately, and I bought on the dip. I didn't buy the bottom of the dip. I never do. But I bought the dip on the way back up, and it's turned out to be a real good move. So unfortunately, I'm buying for him right now, not for me. This time of year, I can't concentrate on my own accumulating. So I'm going to keep reading here from this. With such high volatility, we have always advised investors not to hold more than 25% in silver and 75% in gold. Sleeping well at night is an important part of your investment strategy. The moves we have seen in the last few weeks in gold and silver is just the beginning. The long-term bull market is well-established and will go on to heights that no one could imagine today. And we will see much bigger daily and weekly moves than we have just experienced as the market panics due to dire financial news combined with major shortages in physical gold and silver. I would not be surprised to see gold move by hundreds and silver by tens in in a single day. So anyway, that was the end of that article. So, like I say, I've got tons of work to do in the next few days. I've got just lots lots on my plate. I'm actually playing more tennis two of the next three mornings, and that's for my exercise because I'm, like I say, I enjoy tennis because it's fun and I get exercise at the same time, so... I don't notice that I'm getting exercise. So I'm just going to read from my favorite book, which is A Course in Miracles. And this is Chapter 21, Reason and Perception, and this is Section 7. It's called The Last Unanswered Question. Do you not see that all your misery comes from the strange belief that you are powerless? Being helpless is the cost of sin. Helplessness is sin's condition the one requirement that it demands to be believed. Now, I want to interject here. The word sin in the Course is not the same as the word sin you've heard in church all your years since you were small. It's not sin in the sense that you did something bad. It's sin in the fact that you've missed the mark. You have not perceived properly what's going on. That's what sin means in the Course. So don't think of sin as, you know, Um, you know, hellfire and all that kind of preaching. It's not that kind of sin. It's missing the mark. Being helpless is the cost of sin. Helplessness is sin's condition, the one requirement that it demands to be believed. Only the helpless could believe in it. Enormity has no appeal save to the little, and only those who first believe that they are little could see attraction there. Treachery to the Son of God is the defense of those who do not identify with him. And you are for him or against him. Either you love him or attack him, protect his unity, or see him shattered and slain by your attack. No one believes the Son of God is powerless. And those who see themselves as helpless must believe that they are not the Son of God. What can they be except his enemy? And what can they do but envy him his power, and by their envy make themselves afraid of it? These are the dark ones, silent and afraid, alone and not communicating, 
fearful the power of the Son of God will strike them dead and raising up their helplessness against him. They join the army of the powerless to wage their war of vengeance, bitterness, and spite on him to make him one with them. Because they do not know that they are one with him, they know not whom they they hate. They are indeed a sorry army. Each one is likely to attack his brother or turn upon himself as to remember that they thought they had a common cause. Frantic and loud and strong the dark ones seem to be, yet they know not their enemy except they hate him. In hatred they have come together but have not joined each other, for had they done so, hatred would be impossible. The army of the powerless must be disbanded in the presence of strength. Those who are strong are never treacherous, because they have no need to dream of power and to act out their dream. How would an army act in dreams, any way at all? It could be seen attacking anyone with anything. Dreams have no reason in them. A flower turns into a poison spear, a child becomes a giant, and a mouse roars like a lion, and love is turned to hate as easily. This is no army, but a madhouse. What seems to be a planned attack is bedlam. The army of the powerless is weak indeed. It has no weapons and it has no enemy. Yes, it can overrun the world and seek an enemy, but it can never find what is not there. Yes, it can dream it found an enemy, but this will shift even as even as it attacks, so that it runs at once to find another and never comes to rest in victory. And as it runs, it turns against itself, thinking it caught a glimpse of the great enemy who always eludes its murderous attack by turning into something else. How treacherous does this enemy appear, who changes so it is impossible even to recognize him. And I wanted to just stop here and say, isn't that true? When one problem gets solved, another one pops up. That's exactly what this is talking about. So I'm going to read that last sentence again. How treacherous does this enemy appear, who changes so it is impossible even to recognize him. Yet hate must have a target. There can be no faith in sin without an enemy. Who that believes in sin would dare believe he has no enemy? Could he admit that no one made him powerless? Reason would surely bid him seek no longer what is not there to find. Yet first he must be willing to perceive a world where it is not. It is not necessary that he understand how he can see it, nor should he try. For if he focuses on what he cannot understand, he will but emphasize his helplessness and let sin Tell him that his enemy must be himself, but let him only ask himself these questions, which he must decide to have it done for him. Do I desire a world I rule instead of one that rules me? Do I desire a world where I am powerful instead of helpless? Do I desire a world in which I have no enemies and cannot sin? And do I want to see see what I denied because it is the truth? You may have already answered the first three questions, but not yet the last. And I'm going to read that last one again. And do I want to see what I denied because it is the truth? For this one still seems fearful and unlike the others. Yet reason would assure you they are all the same. We said this year would emphasize the sameness of things that are the same. This final question, which is indeed the last you need decide, still seems to hold a threat the rest have lost for you. And this imagined difference attests to your belief that truth may be the enemy you yet may find. Here, then, would seem to be the last remaining hope of finding sin and not accepting power. Forget not that the choice of sin or truth, helplessness or power, is the choice of whether to attack or heal. 
For healing comes of power and attack of helplessness. Whom you attack you cannot want to heal, and whom you would have healed must be the one you chose to be protected from attack. And what is this decision but the choice whether to see him through the body's eyes or let him be revealed to you through vision? How this decision leads to its effects is not your problem, but what you want to see must be your choice. This is a course in cause and not effect. Consider carefully your answer to the last question you have left unanswered still, and let your reason tell you that it must be answered and is answered in the other three. And then it will be clear to you that as you look on the effects of sin in any form, all you need to do is simply ask yourself, Is this what I would see? Do I want this? This is your one decision. This this the condition for what occurs. It is irrelevant of how it happens, but not to why. You have control of this. And if you choose to see a world without an enemy, in which you are not helpless, the means to see it will be given you. Why is the final question so important? And I'm going to go back and read that final question. The final question is, and do I want to see what I denied because it is the truth? And he says, why is the final question so important? Reason will tell you why. It is the same as are the other three except in time. The others are decisions that can be made and then unmade and made again. But truth is constant and implies a state where vacillations are impossible. You can desire a world you rule that rules you not and change your mind. You can desire to exchange your helplessness for power and lose this same desire as a little glint of sin attracts you. And you can want to see a sinless world and let an enemy tempt you to use the body's eyes and change what you desire. In content, all the questions are the same, for each one asks if you are willing to exchange the world of sin for what the Holy Spirit sees, since it is this the world of sin denies. And therefore, those who look on sin are seeing the denial of the real world. Yet the last question adds the wish for constancy in your desire to see the real world, so the desire becomes the only one you have. By answering the final question, yes, you add sincerity to the decisions you have already made for the rest. For only then have you renounced the option to change your mind again. When it is this you do not want, the rest are wholly answered. So uh, that is that whole section, it's very, it's very powerful. But the main thing to remember is this whole thing about sin. What, what it, the book is saying is it's a choice of whether you live in the right mind or the, or the, I call it the old mind. The right mind is the forgiving mind where you realize that you're looking at your own thoughts and that you don't have any enemies. And everything you see that's a mean, anybody who says something mean or tries to attack you, that's a call for love it's not, or, call, or a call for help. That's all it is. So then there's a section called the inner shift. And since I've got a couple of, uh, couple of minutes left, I'm going to get into a little bit of this. Are thoughts then dangerous to bodies? Yes. The thoughts that seem to kill are those that teach the thinker that he can be killed. And so he dies because of, because of what he learned. He goes from life to death. The final proof he valued the inconstant more than constancy. Surely he thought he wanted happiness, yet he did not desire it because it was the truth and therefore must be constant. The constancy of joy is a condition quite alien to your understanding. Yet if you could even imagine what it must be, you would desire it although you understand it not. 
The constancy of happiness has no exceptions, no change of any kind. It is unshakable as is the love of God for His creation, sure in its vision as its Creator is in what He knows. Happiness looks on everything and sees it as the same. It sees not the ephemeral, for it desires everything be like itself, and sees it so. Nothing has power to confound its constancy, because its own desire cannot be shaken. It comes as surely unto those who see the final questions. The question is necessary to the rest, as peace must come to those who choose to heal and not to judge. Reason will tell you that you cannot ask for happiness inconsistently. For if what you desire you receive and happiness is constant, then you need ask for it but once to have it always. And if you do not have it always being what it is, you did not ask for it. For no one fails to ask for his desire of something he believes holds out some promise of the power of giving it. He may be wrong in what he asks, where and of what. Yet he will ask, because desire is a request and asking for, and made by one whom God himself will never fail to answer. God has already given all that he really wants, yet what he is uncertain of, God cannot give. For he does not desire it while he remains uncertain, and God's giving must be incomplete unless it is received. You who complete God's will and are his happiness, whose will is powerful as his, a power that is not lost in your illusions, think carefully why you have not yet decided how you would answer the final question. I feel better already. I'll face another workday soon, but for now, I'm feeling good. Thanks for listening to Business Buzz. I'm Harold Littlejohn, CPA. I'll see you next time. Thanks.
KKXX Paradise, K280GL Chico, and K283AR Chico, Yuba City, Marysville. Breaking news this hour from townhall.com, I'm Keith Peters. It's preparation day for many residents in Texas, Louisiana, with Hurricane Laura approaching. Correspondent Shelley Adler has more. We are concerned. Ben Reynolds, who lives with his wife in southwestern Louisiana, both are in their 70s. We were content when it was a uh, Category 2, and now that it's a 3, it's uh, a little more uh, uh, concerning to us, but uh, with COVID at this point, point in time we're going to stay and Reynolds has lived through many storms in the past 50 years I can tell you it's not fun it's noisy and it goes on for a long time and when you think it should be over it's not I'm Shelley Adler fire crews made progress Tuesday in Northern California as better weather and reinforcements with bulldozers are penning in wildfires that have killed at least seven people Deputy Chief Jonathan Cox with Cal Fire says weather conditions are on their side. As of 6 o'clock this morning, uh, this uh, incident is now 78,869 acres. Uh, the good news is we continue to make progress on containment, and we're up to 17.17% containment. At least 1,300 homes have been destroyed. In political news, Melania Trump is the keynote speaker for the second night of the GOP convention. The First Lady will make a case for her husband's re-election from the newly renovated White House Rose Garden. Tonight's convention theme is Land of Opportunity. Mrs. Trump won't be the only family member speaking. The president's son, Eric, and daughter, Tiffany, will also be making speeches. Also on the program is Secretary of State Mike Pompeo, who will give remarks from Jerusalem. Greg Clugston. Washington. Also feature will be Covington High School student Nicholas Sandman, who settled with CNN and the Washington Post over their coverage of his confrontation with a Native American protester during a March for Life rally. On Wall Street, the Dow out by 60 points, but the Nasdaq rose 86. More on these stories at townhall.com.